All right, so everyone knows that Jesus was an awesome storyteller, right? Just an amazing gift in storytelling. And he always seemed to have the perfect story for the perfect moment. Do you know what I mean? Like he would walk into a situation, he would see things, and he'd say, ha, there once was a dog. You know what I mean? And, and he'll tell a story. But sometimes his stories were kind of rude. Do you, do, do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes they're extremely offensive. For instance, one time, Jesus says, two men walk into a temple to pray. Kind of sounds like most guy jokes, right? Two men walk into a bar, you know? Two men walk into a temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, stands up boldly, using a bunch of words, boasting about himself. The other, a public sinner, says very little, falls on his face, and just asks God for forgiveness. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, verily, verily, I say unto thee. The sinner is justified before God, and the Pharisee will be humiliated. When Jesus tells that parable, it was meant to be offensive, wasn't it? Someone got offended. He turned things upside down. Sometimes Jesus tells parables, and they're so complex and confusing. There's weeds, wheat, flour, and yeast, sheep and goats, and bread, (laughs) seeds and trees. And you're trying to figure out, what what am I? Am I the seed or the tree or the leaf or the the wheat or the bread or the pan? You know, I I don't know. Where am I in this parable? Am I right? Sometimes they can be quite complex. But then other times, Jesus tells parables, and they're so far-fetched, they're off the wall that it literally blows every circuit in your brain. Do you know what I'm saying? (laughs) You ever read a parable from Jesus, and you're like, brain explosion? I can think of a dozen. One that comes to my mind almost immediately is the parable of the ten virgins. There's ten virgins. Think of this. There's ten Christian virgin girls, and they're standing outside, and they're waiting for Jesus. That's a good thing, right? I mean, I would, I, would, I, would, I would applaud 10 virgin girls waiting for Jesus. That's great. And while they're waiting, they have these lanterns that take oil to make a candle, you know? And, and five of them did not bring extra oil, but five of them did bring extra oil. And then at midnight, five of the girls who didn't have the extra oil, they ran out of oil, which I don't know what that symbolizes, but, but anyway. So, so, they, so, so then they ask the other five Christian virgin girls, hey, could we borrow just a smidgen of your oil because we done ran out? And those other five Christian virgin girls say, heck no, go in town, get your own darn oil. And so, fine. So they go into town, get some oil, put it in their lanterns, come back to the place where they were waiting for Jesus, and lo and behold, it's Murphy's Law again. Jesus came. He done did come. And there's a party going on inside and the door is shut. And so the girls knock on the door and say, Lord, Lord, Let us in. We had to go buy oil. And he calls out through the door, sorry, too late. You should have brought extra oil. (laughs) Circuits are popping all over your brain, aren't they not? I don't understand the parable. Can I just say that? It's confusing. Jesus spoke in strange, bizarre, disturbing ways. Apparently, he found nothing odd about holding up as a mirror to God's ways. He's holding up to a mirror to God's ways. That's what a parable is, right? It's a mirror of, God is like this. He found nothing strange about holding up to that mirror a mixed bag of questionable characters like an unjust judge, a savage king, a tipsy slave owner, and an unfair employer, and even a man who only gives help to bona fide pests. That's what Jesus does. Look, God is like this. God is like, th- God is like a savage king. God's like a tipsy slave owner. God's like a guy who's not going to give you an ounce of flour until you beat on his door all night long. Why does Jesus talk in parables anyway? 
Those people who were closest to Jesus tell us why. They say he spoke in parables because he was communicating hidden, hidden mysteries that you've never seen before. And he was communicating them in a way that would be, well, still kind of hidden in a, in a, in a sense. <laughs> Let me explain. Matthew chapter 13 says this. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter what has been hidden since the foundations of the world. So Jesus spoke in parables in order to communicate hidden truths that have been hidden since the foundations of the world. Now, that quote, by the way, that prophecy comes, there's actually two sources in the Old Testament. One is Psalms, the other is Isaiah. Let me just share those with you real quick. The Psalms verse is in 78, and it says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings from of old. Interesting. Interesting. <clears throat> the other verse is in Isaiah, chapter 6. God says to Isaiah, say this to the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand, and keep on seeing, but do not perceive. And therefore make the hearts of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and then turn and be healed. What does all that mean? It's a bit confusing, isn't it? Why, was God, why does God want to tell us things that we can't hear and say things that we can't? See or understand. And why does he not want us to turn and be healed? Are you confused? What I think is interesting is that in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language, the word for parables, I don't know if you noticed it or not, can be translated dark sayings. Did you see that? He spoke in parables. He spoke in dark sayings. Why? What's a dark saying? It sounds kind of interesting. A dark saying is dark because it's dark. <laughs> and it's hard to see in the dark, isn't it? And so you say something, and you say it in the dark, but you can't quite see it, but you, you see it. I, I know there's something there, but I just can't. I wish I had a little more illumination. I wish I had some light so I can shine it on here and see it a little better. So a dark saying is a saying that reveals truth to you, but doesn't necessarily completely enlighten you. Does that make sense? It's a dark saying. We see lots of dark sayings in the Old Testament. In fact, one of the first dark sayings we see in the Old Testament is, comes from Samson. Do you remember Samson? The big, strong, you know, he-man, and he killed all the Philistines with the donkey jawbone. He told a riddle to the Philistines, something about a lion with honey in his mouth, and he was really just trying to trick the, trick the, uh, the Philistines. But, but there, the word dark saying is translated riddle. So here's what I'm trying to say. A parable is a dark saying and a riddle. And if you're following me, it means it's a way for Jesus to communicate hidden truths that you've never seen before, but yet also communicate it in such a way that you still don't quite see it. It's still hidden, still dark. You need more illumination. In other words, the parables are meant to be difficult and meant to be mysterious. He also uses them as a comparison. He uses a story to compare what we haven't seen before. So we've never seen this thing called the kingdom of heaven, right? Have you? I've not. In fact, I'm not quite sure if we even really know what Jesus is talking about when he says the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus will often say this, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he'll tell a story, a dark saying, a parable, a riddle, if you will. Kingdom of heaven is like this. Now, you've never seen the kingdom of heaven, so I'm, I realize that. So let me try to break it down to you in language that you understand. 
Let me, let me give you an example of a woman with a coin or bread that has yeast in it or a, a, a seed that grows into a tree. Now do you understand? Sure. I, at least I understand what you're saying, but I don't understand what you're saying and what it means. Does that make sense? Now, using story and, you know, as a comparison to teach people things is, old, is so old school. We've been doing it for thousands of years, right? We, always, we naturally just want to say, it's like this. I do it to my kids all the time. Hey, Daddy, why do, you know, where do babies come from? Well, it's like this. You know, Thomas the Train, you know, and then, you know, Sir Tom, never mind. I don't know. You're going to have to wait till you're older, <laughs> right? You're trying to tell a story. <laughs> we do it all the time. We always say, here's what it's like, and paint a picture for people so then their lights will go on and say, oh, I get it. But can I just tell you that Jesus was so good at it, he does it in a completely different way. When he says it, he's not necessarily saying it to say, oh, I get it. But then he says it, and you're like, I still don't get it. Let me give you an example. <laughs> See, I'm doing it again. See, here we are. Let me paint my own little picture for you, my own little parable. Um, Jesus' parables are like, <laughs> dot, 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 here it goes, okay? Jesus' parables are like a, a professor. Let's say you've got a science professor in, in high school. He's trying to teach scientific things to his students that they've never understood or seen before. Am I right? So let's say he's trying to describe for them an atom. They've never seen an atom, right? Perhaps they've seen pictures of an atom, but if they ever bumped into an atom in the middle of a Tuesday night in a dark alley, they wouldn't know it was an atom, right? And so they've never seen an atom. Chances are the professor has not ever seen the atom either, but nevertheless, he tries to explain to them and he paints a picture. Well, an atom is essentially kind of like the solar system. Just as the planets revolve around the sun, an atom is a bunch of electrons revolving around a nucleus. And the students go, oh. I get that, I think. He says it in a language they understand, and they see the picture, right? But Je and they would say, thank you. Oh, I'm, I'm going to pass this test. <laughs> but if Jesus were the science professor, and he was going to make a comparison, he would blow them out of the water and confuse them even more, while still telling the truth. Does that make sense? He would still say it in a way that was truthful, that was correct, but it didn't help them any. <laughs> Let me explain what I mean. Jesus would push the comparison to the ultimate mind-boggling conclusion. And he would say, just as the solar system is mostly great tracts of empty space, so too is matter. In other words, what you normally think of as solid stuff is mostly holes. Right? And it's true. I don't know if you've ever seen like the Cosmos TV show or if you ever watched in the 1970s, they had this little film called The Powers of Ten. Did you see The Powers of Ten film? It's awesome. What it is is they take a camera and they put it on a man's hand, digitally, I guess, and they, they, they back up magnification times ten, right? The power of ten, the power of ten, the power of ten, ten times ten. And so when they move away from the man's hand, you see you know, New York and then you see the globe and then you see the solar system, and then you see the Milky Way, and then you see beyond the Milky Way into space, and it's just beautiful, lights, you know, buzzing, everything, a bunch of black space, and then every once in a while, little flaming things flying by you. And then they say, here we are, as far as we've ever seen outside the universe, this 10 to the power of 10, or magnification to the power of 10. And then he goes back. Now let's go inside the man. You should, you should Google this. It's an awesome video. They go inside the man, 10, right? Here's his blood flowing through the river, 10. Here's different weird things, you know, 10. 
I have no idea what I'm talking about, but you see the picture, right? Oh, now we're inside of an atom. Ooh, never been inside of an atom before. Ten, ten, you know, magnified ten, in, and you see it actually looks like a mirror image of the universe. Carl Sagan said, we are many universes inside of us. We have things floating around in space, great tracks of empty space inside of our atoms. In one DNA strand, there are more molecules which have atoms, which have all this space, <laughs> just like this picture on the screen. And there's more of those on one DNA strand than there are stars in the typical galaxy. Isn't that amazing? We've got so much inside of us. And Jesus would have said, yeah, it's like that. <laughs> and you would have said, okay. <laughs> Robert Kappen says, when Jesus tells a parable, it causes the lights to go out, not on. Why am I saying all this? Because I want you to understand that the parables are meant to be confusing. They're meant to be mysterious. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever read the parables, I normally walk away being just a little bit confused. <laughs> and so take heart, be encouraged. You're not supposed to have it all figured out. But certainly there's someone in the room, some, somebody is saying out loud in their mind, yeah, but is that still true for us today? I mean, aren't we enlightened? This side of the cross, don't we understand the parables? And, and didn't Jesus even say to his disciples, to them I speak in spirit parables so they won't understand, but to you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God? Didn't Jesus say that, Mike? Anyone thinking that right now? Well, let's look at that verse real quick because I don't want to misunderstand anything. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells all these parables, half a dozen of them. And so the disciples come up to Jesus and say, why are you talking in parables? Why are you speaking in riddles? And Jesus says to them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. <gasps> There's that verse, right? To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, that's a, that's a, I like that verse. Yeah, we're smart. We're enlightened. <laughs> but then he goes on. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And that is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see, and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. And then he quotes that prophecy that I read earlier. This clears it up, right? <laughs> let, me, let me illustrate it for you. Jesus is speaking in riddles. The disciples say, what's up with the riddles, dude? And he says, oh, well, I say it for them, but you guys, you guys are enlightened. You, you guys are going to get the secrets. Because if you understand, then you're going to understand even more. If you get it, you're going to get more. But if you don't get it, even what you think you get is going to be gotten away from you. Therefore, I speak in parables. And then he asks them this, do you get it? And if you were a disciple, how would you respond? We, obviously, yeah. Of course I get it. <laughs> yeah. Shifting eyes. <laughs> I mean, literally, that's what Jesus does. In the next verse, he says, have you understood all these things? And the disciples answer, yep. <laughs> Simple one-word answer, right? Yes. And I'm sure they're thinking, no. <laughs> and then he goes on. Therefore, every scribe who has been trained by the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. I just think this is hilarious. Don't you just see the disciples? Deer in the headlight, you know what I mean? 
hey, do you get it? Oh, yeah, sure. of course I get it. Great, because if you get it, then you're like a scribe who brings out treasures from his own household, some treasures which are old and some treasures which are new. Sure, yeah, oh, totally, man. I'm tracking with you. Here's my point. I don't think that when Jesus said, to you it has been given to know the secrets, that Jesus meant you're going to have it all figured out. And I think he proves the point that they don't have it figured out. They're quite confused. I would be confused. I think this is a hilarious story. Totally, yeah, I totally get it. But let me, let, me, let me say this. We're just like that. Oh, yeah, I've heard this parable a million times. I know. I was actually talking to someone the other day, not necessarily a Christian, but been going to church recently. He says he's had a hard time becoming a Christian because he don't think it's fair because he lived a wild life. And uh, I said, well, there's this parable. I don't know if you heard it or not. Jesus tells about the, the workers in the field. And he's like, yeah, 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 I heard that parable. He cut me off, didn't even let me finish. Why? Because I heard it, I know it, got it, done, sorry. Doesn't help. Uh, yeah, you, you think, uh, you know, he's, he's like, disciples, yeah, I get it. Totally get it, man. I don't even need to hear it again. The disciples don't get the parables. They just don't get it. Let me explain to you what I mean. Sometimes Jesus tells a parable, and I don't necessarily know that we're going to get the parable perfectly either, but I can tell by reading the text that the disciples don't even not get it, but they go the opposite direction with it. <laughs> Most of the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know where exactly Jesus was going, but I know that wherever the disciples went with it was 180 degrees the other way. For instance, one time Jesus was out in ministry, and he fed 5,000 people with some bread. Do you remember this story? He fed them all with bread. And then the people start pushing up against him. Hey, man, this guy's the cure for poverty. <laughs> so he says, got to go, gets in a boat and goes out into the lake, right? Brings a couple of disciples with him. So imagine there's about five or six disciples in a little rowboat. Jesus turns to the disciples and says, be careful for the yeast of the Pharisees. A very mini parable, right? A small parable, Jesus tells them. And the disciples say, oh, another parable. We gotta get it, right? Because if we don't get it, then we're not gonna get it. And, if we don't, and it's gonna be taken away from us. So we gotta get it so we can get more of it. So come, come on, guys, come on. What do you think it means? What do you think it means? Let's talk about this. He was, the yeast, the parable, the Pharisees, I don't know. I got it. Jesus is mad at us because we forgot to bring bread for the trip. That's what they do. They totally miss the point, don't they? And you and I do the same thing. We tend to look at the parables, we focus on the details, the goat, the sheep, and then we walk away thinking to ourselves that Jesus must be mad at us because we forgot something. We often walk away feeling in the dark, confused, insecure, and pretty confident that Jesus must be mad at us. So, so here's the deal. When Jesus says, to you it has been given to know the secrets, I don't believe that he meant that you're going to have it all figured out. I think that what he meant was something different. Well, Mike, please tell me, what did he mean? <laughs> I think that what he meant was this. To you has been given to know the secrets. If you hear the dark saying, the only way the dark saying is going to be revealed to you is if some light shines on it. And the only way that riddle is going to be answered is if someone gives you the key to unlocking the mystery so that you can understand the riddle, right? And Jesus is saying, to you, the key has been delivered. To you, the light is now shining in the darkness. And by this, I believe that Jesus means you've received me. I'm the key that unlocks the mystery that, under, that gives you the answer to the riddle. I'm the light of the world that shines into dark places so that now you can see that which was once hidden. And so... Jesus doesn't mean you're going to have it all figured out. Jesus means if you have me, 
If you've received me, then you will receive more and more and more in abundance. But if you don't receive me, then even what you have will be taken from you, and you will not have the key, and the door will be locked, and someone will shout from the inside, too late, should have brought some extra oil. <laughs> Bottom line is this, all the parables are about Jesus. Can you say amen? They're all about Jesus. And I'm not saying they're about Jesus because Jesus tells them. <laughs> I'm saying they're about Jesus because Jesus is telling them about himself. Does that make sense? Specifically, I should say this. All the parables are about the kingdom of God. Guess what he says? It's like the, king, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. But you and I don't know what the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is. What we do know is that Jesus is the key to unlocking that mystery to experiencing and tasting and seeing and having the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Without Jesus, we'll never see the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Is that true? So the parables are essentially about the kingdom of God, but inside of them, Jesus is a character or at least the key to unlocking the secret to understanding those dark sayings. But you knew that already, right? When I said, hey, the parables are all about Jesus, you said, totally. Totally knew that, yeah. I got that, of course. <laughs> Just like the disciples. But can I show you why I think that we don't get that? We don't know that the parables are all about Jesus because we frequently misname the parables and we frequently misinterpret them. I'll give you some examples. We misname them. One of the most famous parables in the world is called the parable of the prodigal son. You know this parable, right? Um, Jesus did not call the parable the parable of the prodigal son. In fact, if you read the parable, there's no, the word prodigal is nowhere in the parable. <laughs> in fact, we would not personally know what the word prodigal meant if it wasn't for someone who named the, named the thing, the prodigal, you know, some smart scholar said, oh, this is about the prodigal son. Think about it. Would you even know what the word prodigal meant if it wasn't for someone naming it the prodigal son? I, did, I wouldn't. We don't ever use that word any other time except for to refer to this parable. But that's not the name that Jesus gave the parable. He didn't name the parable. He just started telling a story. There once was a man who had two sons. Can I tell you this? The parable is not about a prodigal son. Ah, you're thinking, but it is. No, it's not. It's about a man who has two sons, isn't it? Yes, sure, one of them is a prodigal, meaning he goes away and comes back home. But isn't there another son there? So it's not about a prodigal. It's about a father, essentially, and how he responds to both of his sons. And he responds to both of them graciously, even though both of them don't deserve it. Is that true? So the parable is not about the sons. The parable is specifically and essentially about the father. And yet we call it the prodigal son. Perhaps we should call it the parable of the loving, forgiving, and lavishly gracious father. Wouldn't that be a better name for the parable? It would be. That's what it's about. It's about Jesus. It's about God. It's not about the man. It's not about the pigs. And it's not about the prostitutes. It's about God. But we miss the point, don't we? We do. Here's another example. There's another parable in the Bible, one I quoted earlier, called the laborers in the vineyard. The laborers in the vineyard. That's what we call it. It's about the laborers who work in a man's vineyard for a certain amount of time. One guy gets there for eight hours, six hours, four hours, two hours, one hour. And at the end of the day, the vineyard owner pays them all the same amount of money. And the guys who worked eight hours get ticked off because the guys who only worked an hour get the same pay. But it's not about laborers, is it? Listen to what Robert Kappen says. The laborers in the vineyard are by no means the central characters in the story. They're hardly more than stick figures used by Jesus to rub his hearers' noses in the outrageous grace of a vine owner who gives equal pay for unequal work. 
So again, you can rename the parable what you think it should be, but it shouldn't be called the laborers and the vineyards because it's not about laborers. <laughs> it's not about work. It's about a God who gives graciously to those who don't even deserve it. Interesting, isn't it? You see what I'm saying? We miss the point. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, totally. It's about Jesus, of course. But then we always focus on the stupid details, and we end up walking away thinking Jesus is mad at us. Here's another one. One of my favorite ones. Uh, the story of the hidden treasure. Remember this one? There's that word again, hidden. It's a hidden treasure. It's about a guy. He's, he's out looking for real estate, and he finds a field that has treasure, hid, treasure in it. So it buries the treasure, which sounds pretty shifty to me. You know what I'm saying? Hey, dude, I found some treasure on your property. No, no, no. I'm going to bury this treasure, hide it from you, and then I'm going to go and sell all I have so I can buy this treasure and therefore purchase the treasure, which sounds like heresy to me, doesn't it? If you think about what it might metaphorically mean, I purchased my own treasure, and then snatched that treasure out from underneath that man. And what we always do, nevertheless, is interpret it in a way that makes it sound like we have to sell all we have and purchase the treasure, purchase our own salvation, purchase the hidden kingdom. And what we end up doing is walking away feeling very insecure that Jesus must be mad at us specifically because we have not sold all we have to purchase the treasure, have we? <laughs> so do you see how we miss the point all the time? We do. You see why I'm so excited to get into this? It's going to be exciting. So here's the deal. We may hear these parables. We may have even heard sermons on them. But then we typically walk away still in the dark, a little confused, somewhat frightened, and for the most part, feeling pretty insecure. I don't know about you, but when I hear the parables of Jesus, most of the time it's the way I feel. So in this series, my hope and prayer is that we will read these parables with new and open and fresh eyes and remembering that they're essentially about Jesus and not about us and that we will learn that God is gracious and loving and kind, not mad at you because you forgot to bring the bread. The problem with doing a series on the parables is that we are, they're so familiar. They're over-familiar. We've heard them so many times we think, oh, yeah, I got, I got it. But that over-familiarization can trap you into missing the point. And so in this series, we're going to learn that bad people are rewarded. Like, for instance, the, the parable of the publican, the prodigal, and the unjust steward. We're also going to learn that good people are scolded. Like the Pharisee and the elder brother and the diligent workers. We're going to learn that God's response to prayer is likened to a man getting rid of a pest or a nuisance, the friend at midnight. And in general, everybody's idea of who ought to be first or last is literally doused with cold water, like an ALS challenge. For instance, the wedding feast, the great judgment, Lazarus, the narrow door. So in other words, when we read the parables, we're not going to see that God's mad at us. We're going to see that God's turning everything upside down. And people who only work an hour get in. And people who are good and, you know, elder brother Pharisees aren't getting in. And in the end, whoever is first is going to be last, and whoever is last is going to be first. And I don't know about you, but I find that good news, because all of the parables are essentially about the loving, forgiving, and lavishly gracious Father, who spared no expense to send his son to die and shed his blood so that we might have the mysteries and the key to unlocking the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray.